fucks up everything. The St. Louis Blues have been eliminated from the playoffs, but how sad should we be? We'll talk about the takeaways from the Blues season and what we can expect from the offseason. Plus, some heavy stories from around the NHL that we've been avoiding talking about. And a deep dive into Ian's early perceptions on the murder, or was it a murder, of Kathleen Peterson. It's a lot to cover, so let's get started and let's go Avalanche Oilers. Oh, who's to say? one cup podcast it is monday may 30th it's memorial day you know so we figured what better way to pay tribute to the men and women who gave their lives to the ultimate sacrifice than by memorializing a group of players who gave their efforts to a much lesser sacrifice <laughs> namely losing a six game series while well, seven game series that became a six game series in the second round to the colorado avalanche uh we did not we have not done our final playoff episode, uh, we were going to do it the night of the game, but Ian didn't have a table. He's moving houses, and we both thought, you know what? We don't want to do it tonight anyway. We're too sad. And then we thought, we'll find time, and then we didn't find time, and now here we are. So we're united again. Uh, we are both in St. Louis this time, but not together in person. Uh, but how are you doing tonight, Ian? How's your non-table having lifestyle? This place is a mess. I have one less table than I had before. You know, our <laughs> table that was in the dining room was in shambles. Um, it's oh. like your furniture is when you disassemble it. Um, yeah. So yes, if you hear any tape noises or, or boxes or anything, that would be the active noises of packing you hear behind me. Um, I've decided to dip out of that so I can do this, so I can do this for you folks. Good, good. Um, I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm very popular with your uh, wife right now. <laughs> Almost called her your fiance, but that's not true anymore. Because that's, that's how marriage works. <laughs> it is, wife sounds more and more normal the more I use it. So I try I try to use it as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Say, I'll ask my wife. I'll say that's my wife. I'll say wife. <laughs> I didn't kill just my wife. wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, we can we can talk about this and. Later or at the end, we'll talk about the end. I, we have begun watching begun watching uh, the staircase. Yes, <laughs> it is. It's quite the show. The dramatization version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's something. Oh good, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm excited to dive in. Um, but we got we've got other murders to discuss first. <laughs> um, I don't think we're gonna go through like a detailed detailed breakdown of of game six y'all y'all know what happened the blues took an early lead and they um surrendered it did they they maybe i don't know what happened i feel like that's right i feel like they did that and then surrendered it we'll find out together oh we can't because they've already removed the scores from the main page that's right i was flipping through this and they're like we don't even we're not even gonna bother to tell you we're not even we don't acknowledge I think it was, yeah, there was one, one of blues, then comfort tied it, then Kyer's goal, then comfort tied it again. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the, uh, Justin Falk with the late yeah. first period dagger. That wasn't a dagger. Um, and then Tom for then Kyrou 
then Tomfer, Comfort, Chomfer, and then Darren Helm, of course, with the goal that you and I both welcomed with open arms, the um, overtime avoiding uh, last minute, 4.9 seconds or so, something somewhere, um, the goal heard around the world that ended up. I had a weird memory of series. you, like 10 seconds left or so, and you saying something about uh, spit chiclets or something they talked about, uh, Joel Edmondson having like, a milk bag a body. Milk bag body, yep. And then yep. right when you were talking about that, they scored. And I was like, yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's funny how we were both praying for the abs or, or the blues, but someone to just score right before overtime so we could just uh-huh. end it. And when Colorado scored, like my gut was like, oh no, I didn't really mean that. But then I think it settled. And I was like, no, this is right. This is what I want. Yeah. I don't yeah. want I don't want pins and needles in OT. I just want this to be over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean. Even the players have said this, so I feel pretty comfortable saying they were the better team in this series. They're a much better team than us, um, and they're a much better team than most teams in the league. So that's mm. not even that big of an insult. <laughs> uh, it just is but, what it is. Yeah, but um, ugh, I mean, it still sucks. It still feels bad. I'm mm-hmm. against it. And I don't like how the way that it felt. Um, <laughs> it is funny how we were like predicting, like, this will be, I mean, I hope it's not a sweet maybe five games. Like, maybe if the Blues make it six games, that'll be pretty good. And that's what you say at the beginning. And then once you're in the series, you feel so, I mean, you you just feel so different. You're like rooting butt off. And then when this happens, you're like, oh, I can't believe it. And they're like, well, or can I? Or is this exactly what I thought was going to happen? This is exactly where we ended up. We've gone full circle and we're back to our exact prediction that they would make a series out of it, but they would not win it. And I think when you I think of it that way, I feel a lot better about this outcome. I was like, yeah, this is what I expected. That's right. I, I had just forgotten. I've been swept up in the series that was. Yeah. So what do we think we learned from that last game? Because... It seems to me like we learned that the Avalanche are really good, that the Blues are not that good. I mean, because I think the scoreline flatters us. Right. Um, in the sense that I don't think we, uh, you know, how, how heavily did we get outshot? Like 40 to two or something like that. You know, some, some it was, it was a good two like for that. one, I think. It was thirty-nine to twenty, so almost exactly two to one. Um, yeah, I mean that was just—I don't know. What do you? What did you walk away from that game thinking? Um, I, I, I just didn't think we had like that extra gear. That's what it felt like to me. Like in the run to the cup, the Blues always had like that little extra push. It was pretty much like. Blues ratcheting it up, the other team ratcheting it up. And then when the Blues ratcheted up one more time, the other team just couldn't get to that point, Um, whether it be just luck, you know, falling at the Blues' feet a little bit here and there, or the actual determination and will and skill and all that coming together in one one big picture. And to me, it just felt like anytime the Avs, like, got their shit together, the Blues weren't like, oh, okay, we can match that. It was like, we tried – but there was just, there was a ceiling there. And um, not only that, but I think there was just too many, like, I don't know, 
there are just too many like wishy-washy performances out of this team. I feel like um, for the entire playoffs, really. I mean, just some players that when you have scoring depth, right? When you have like 20 or 20, when you have nine 20 plus goal scorers on your team and I don't know, four, maybe five of them do some scoring. Like, I guess that's, that's pretty decent, but like, it just wasn't, it was few and far between, right? Like you had O'Reilly, you obviously had Perron, you had Kairu, you had spurts of Tarasenko um, scoring goals for you. And that was kind of it out of that forward group. Um, I think Robert Thomas was kind of a non-factor, which was kind of disappointing, uh, except for in game five there towards the end. I mean, he had, he had good looks, but in terms of producing not so much. Mm-hmm. Barbashev was a ghost. Uh, Shen, Shen down under the wild skin, but he didn't really do much production-wise. Saad was was kind of here and there, but but not much out of him either. So to me, it felt like if all if you were hitting on all those cylinders like you were in the regular season, maybe this this is I think it's almost for sure seven games and you flip a coin. Um, uh-huh. and heck, maybe the wild series is even like five games, but when all that kind of falls apart, and then on top of that, like we might even be able to transition to like this kind of proved to me, or maybe didn't prove to me, it made me question um Billy Huso moving forward, right? Like how quick mm. the tables turn of Billy yeah. Huso being the the star of the the regular season, Bennington being kind of shaky, and then it just completely flips in the playoffs. Um, you know, Bennington obviously just having more playoff experience and it's not really like throwing who's under the bus time, but it's just, he, he had some good stretches of really great saves, but then he also had some stretches of goals. There was at least one in that game six where I was like, man, that's like, that's like strong side, but like letting in like a, just a not, not so great goal. I think on like John for Tom for Comfer's first. Um, and so it's, it kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. I think you, as a Blues fan, have to wonder what the series would have been like or if it would have been any different had Bennington been in the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of my my play takeaways is there are just too many people fell off the board and you're kind of having to ride who's so for better or for worse. And unfortunately, it was for, for worse in the end. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think he looked okay in this game, it's, it's easy to point to the 39 saves, 36, you know, shots, 36 saves on 39 shots, I should say, which is what, a, a 923 save percentage. I just did that off the top of my head. I didn't look it up or anything, but. Um, Give me calculator. Yeah, you know, like, that's easy to say he did, did pretty good in this game. And I'm not trying to, not trying to dagger him, but I think a couple, maybe all of the goals are, are ones that you should have too, right. which kind of put them in like that Mike Smith category of like somehow at the end of the day, he ends up looking kind of all right. But like the ones that go in are like real backbreakers. And so, you know, it's like, I don't even know if that's bad or good or indifferent, but it's something. And, and uh, I think everything you said about his stock, I, it's so weird I've, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily go fully into the off season stuff, but I think it's kind of hard to avoid doing it a little bit in this, this week. Um, but I do think like, he's probably not here next year because I just don't like, unless other teams are all convinced that he's not their guy. 
Mm-hmm. Then maybe he only gets like two and a half million, and maybe we do bring him back for that. But like, um, I just with the with the pretty weak crop of goaltenders this year, I think there's probably going to be some that say, "Hey, you know, he didn't look great in the playoffs, but he also didn't lose his head in the playoffs, and now he has playoff experience." Doesn't matter how good your playoff experience was, he has playoff experience. <laughs> And he was a stud during the regular season. And like, even if they're willing to give him like three plus million for several years, like that's not a number we can match. Right. If he wants more than like two years and more than like two to 2.5 million, that's just not a number we can match. And I think somebody's going to be willing to give him that, even if they're kind of like a, you know, a, a devils or somebody where they're like, well, we'll get a couple of options and see which one turns mm-hmm. into a starter. Like, I just think somebody's going to be able to pay him. Um, Charlie Lindgren does not then become our backup goalie. I know a lot of people think that um, mm-hmm. you do not want that people. I don't know. There's a reason Charlie Lindgren was happy to be our AHL backup for, for two years. Right. This wasn't even his first year doing right. it. Um He's not an NHL goalie. He's proven that time and time again. He had five really hot games this year, and that's great. But you can't go into next season with Bennington, who, you know, as much as he turned it around, as much as I want to say I have full confidence going into next season, like you have to have some wariness there. Um, And I think your alternative can't be Charlie Lindgren. You know, your alternative (laughs) has to be someone that if, if push comes to shove, you feel like you can start for a few weeks or whatever and, you know, try to get the most out of them. You're Halak would be a fun, fun option. That'd be um, cool. Braden Holtby is another kind of similarly old guy who you probably don't really want as your starter, but you know, is, is solid enough that you don't feel like you're giving games away, having him in net. Um, but I just don't think, I don't think, um, I know Lindgren's not the answer if you're trying to be a seriously competitive team. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think Huso is back. I thought trying to find some of the positives. I think Justin Falk looked like a monster in the mm-hmm. series, really in the whole playoffs. Um, that dude's so good. And I think we haven't really fully accepted it as a, as a fan base. Um, you know, because I think there's that element of like, he's not the number one because Pareko's the number one. And oh boy, we got to talk about Pareko. <laughs> but, um, and, you know, and or he's not Alex Petrangelo. And we arguably lost Petrangelo because we got him. And so, like, I don't think there's active resentment towards him by any means, but I think it's a little bit like, yeah, he's okay, you know, which mm-hmm. is kind of the opposite to me of what the general Pareko reaction was, although as we'll talk about, I do think fans have started to, I can't speak, have uh, started to see the light light there a little bit. Wow. My brain just broke. They've started (laughs) to see the light with Pareko a little bit, but like, whereas people might be overly charitable with Pareko, I think people are overly critical of Falk and Krug. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think Falk looked great. I mean, how many goals did he end up having a number? Uh, well, just one, I guess, in the playoffs. But he had a bunch of assists, too, I think, and, and really just looked really, really good. I mean, he um, played He played some, you know, like, 
a role in some big parts of these games, like game five, especially like he, he had that goal where I don't think it, he scored, like I think of to Cairo or whatever, but like he helped set that up. And then he helped um, basically keep the game within reach by cutting off Landis Scott when he was trying to go for the empty net. And he had like a ton of different little plays like that throughout the game. I thought he, he stepped up big time and yeah, I think you're right. I think he just gets overlooked because he's just kind of like the guy that was there in place of Petrangelo. And he had the really bad, first season I don't even know if it was really bad it was just mediocre first season mm-hmm. that he was here and I think that kind of leaves like um just a bad taste in people's mouths I mean mm-hmm. myself included we're just kind of like oh yeah you know he's here and he's he's fine he's all right and then you just kind of forget that he's actually quietly being like a really important piece of your team and a great player yeah he had a great a great playoffs Piranha has got a really great playoffs um, he was all over the place. Uh, dude was a monster out there. O'Reilly, as hard as he is on himself, um, <laughs> and I'm sure as much as as much as there's still improvement he could have had and different things he could have done better or whatever, I still think he was he was very reliable, very good, like as good as you've seen him in the playoffs since the Cup run. I mean, he's had some had some rough playoffs, um, you know, in 2020 and in 2021. So I think him and Bennington those two kind of popped out to me in terms of like jumping back into, into playoff form a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, there were positives and, and honestly, I thought Cairo was, was really good too. Um, if you can swing it back almost to like this game that we were watching on Friday, he had the one goal and then he did have an opportunity that I know everyone laid into him and I totally get it where he pretty much went forehand backhand had had Kemper sliding, uh, Manson wasn't in the net yet for like what felt like a good one and a half seconds. Mm-hmm. And that whole time you're like, dude, you can shoot it, you can shoot it now, shoot it now, shoot it now, shoot it now. And then Manson was in the way, and that's when he shot it. And yeah, I totally get it. That's super annoying. Like that that he was dangling on top of dangles on top of dangles, but he put himself in such position that he could score. And I thought he did that a lot these playoffs, even when he wasn't scoring. And then he and then he also did actually score. So as much as people were frustrated with him this playoffs, I feel like what would have been more frustrating is if he had like literally done nothing. Like he wasn't dangling and and doing dangling at the wrong time or whatever, getting in close and missing goals. If he just wasn't active, you didn't see him period. And then yeah. on top of that, too, he was scoring for what he could. And so I thought, like, if your criticism is, man, he just needs to make better decisions, 100%. But that's something that comes with experience. It's something that can be taught. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm not, like, worried that he's like, well, he'll just never figure that out, you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot of criticism named his way, and I've talked ad nauseum. I won't bring it up again about how, you know, Blues fans seem to just – inherently dislike or distrust skill players um but at the end of the day nobody else well i mean two other people scored seven plus goals this series or this postseason um everybody there were four players on the blues that had more than two goals um david perron and vladimir tarasenko you expect that Mm -hmm. from ryan o'reilly was a monster and we talk about him in a minute um you know, you expect Ryan O'Reilly probably not to score nine goals necessarily, but you expect him to be a critical performer and, you know, delivering in big moments. Jordan Cairo is the one who, to me, is like, um, that's, he's still in the area of his career where like that kind of a playoff performance is a bonus. And yeah, people want to question his effort level for sure. I think that's a, 
a legitimate question to ask. And I think he's also a, a 23 year old player who has always dominated the game with, with his speed and skill. And he probably does need to learn some of the compete side of things. And I think there are a lot of uh, NHL players that have been 23 year olds still learning that lesson who turned into fantastic, um, you know, fantastic hockey players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Kyra's a, he's a case of a guy where, the only way he's not a part of this team for a very long time, in my opinion, is if a trade materializes where it's like, you know, Matthew Kachuk for Jordan Cairo or like, you know, I don't know, Mitch Marner for Jordan Cairo, like somebody who's brings you what Cairo already brings you and is even more established mm-hmm. and even a bigger star, you know, like I think you you have to look at him as part of your top six going forward, go, barring barring some sort of major unforeseen trade or, or situation. And, and, you know, God willing, the, the, C, the CHL thing, which we should probably talk about on this episode too. Um, and, uh, you know, that doesn't end up including Cairo and or uh, Thomas, which um, – you know, would be a whole different story, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the moment, I think you explore all your options and, and you see what's out there, but I think you gotta, gotta assume that Kyra is a big part of your team next season. Mm-hmm. Another player you have to do that about, um, for less exciting reasons, I think <laughs> is Colton Pareko. Um, he was, this was probably the worst game I've ever seen him play. It was, bad it was bad 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 bad. he had the one sequence that led i believe to the first goal where he failed to get the puck out of the zone and then iced it twice and so by the time they scored i think he had finally gotten off the ice but nick letty who was still on it had been on the ice for like three and a half minutes um it was just far too gassed to make a play on comfort and you can't blame him for that um and then uh, he also had the delay of game penalty that led to the second comfort goal. And I don't believe uh, Pareko looked especially good on the helm goal either. I mean, it, you can't necessarily blame him, but he didn't look great. He was on ice for all three goals against only a minus one because two of them were, um, or one of them was a power play goal. And I guess he was on ice for one of the goals for, but um, a really rough performance. And I think, you know, I sent you that um, JR article from today mm-hmm. about, uh, let me find it here, top 10 Blues offseason priorities. Uh, and I think he phrased it well when he said, have an honest conversation about Colton Pareko. And he said, and, you know, you find the article on The Athletic, go read the real thing, pay for it, don't be cheap. But he said, uh, when Pareko is closing out plays in the defensive zone and skating up ice, he's one of the more impressive defensemen in the league. Um Fair or unfair, though, you still watch the game wanting more from him and fewer costly mistakes. Part of the reason the Blues were able to keep uh, Kaprizov and McKinnon in check, but in game six, it was Pareko in part whose problems in his own zone led to a pair of icings and an avalanche goal and a later delay of game penalty that led to another. The Blues like Pareko a lot, as they should. Perhaps his shortcomings aren't a major concern because he does log a lot of ice time, and what the Blues don't get from him, Justin Falk can supply. So 
barring an unforeseen train, maybe there's no solution, which I think is kind of stating the obvious. But if the Blues are going to get past teams like Colorado in the postseason, they have to get more out of their number one defenseman uh, than heavy minutes that are sometimes inconsistent, which I think I think that's really well phrased because and I, I did see, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of saw kind of saw Blues fans awakening a little bit to this reality. Right. Um, because, you know, it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good performance. And there's a lot of not good performances from him. And, and like, like I think um, JR said, well, there's a lot of really good performances from him too. Um, but he definitely has never been the player he was with Jay Bomeister since Jay Bomeister left. Um, he's never, ever come close to being Alex Petrangelo, which is kind of the de facto role he's been thrust into. Uh, he doesn't have it on the offensive side in a way that is consistent or at all reliable, the kind of thing you'd expect from your top right-handed defenseman. Mm-hmm. I think it's really unlikely that you find a trade partner for him when starting a eight-year, $6.5 million contract. Um, but I will say, you know, I don't, I don't want to, there's, I, who knows, right? Who knows how realistic this is, but if Matthew Kachuk doesn't sign long-term with the flames, there's a good chance that when he's a free agent, he'll try to come here anyway. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not saying it's destiny, but I'm saying every, every indication we've ever seen suggests that Matthew Kachuk really loves St. Louis and would be very thrilled to play in St. Louis with all the other chips falling in the right place. Right. And yes, Mm -hmm. he said the thing at the press conference about he'd love to sign a long-term deal in Calgary. And of course he did, because that's the thing that you say, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but if there's a deal for him on the table and, you know, a package of Cairo and like Pareko makes sense, Pareko from Alberta, um, you know, would probably be willing to waive his no trade clause and go back there. Um, and then, you know, they, they just lost Chris Tanev for, you know, going into next season. And so they're, they're, we're already didn't have like a cornerstone on right-handed defense, um, now have one fewer, you know, it might make some sense, but I think that's unlikely. And I think probably Colton break goes here next year and probably many years after that, but you know, there's certainly a scenario where I think that trade makes sense for both teams, um, but what did you think of, I've talked a lot and I apologize. What did you think of Pareko and, and what JR said about him and, and anything else I just rambled about? I mean, I think the way JR describes him is perfect because he's just, he's just kind of there to me. It's like Pareko mm-hmm. eats big minutes and he's not a complete liability in those minutes, but he's also not necessarily making your team any better in those minutes. He's just kind of like, a big placeholder, which is probably being a little unkind to him. But to me, I just is at his best. He is again keeping Kaprizov and McKinnon in check a little bit with his size and with like his, his stick and everything being pretty active. But I think that's great, but that doesn't feel like enough when it comes to being a number one defenseman, right? Like that's a great second pairing defenseman. That's a great what he was with Jay Bomeister. But like if you're going to be playing those big minutes, I think the problem I've always had is it's like you need to be a very good at playing defense, which he, he generally is. Um, 
and B, you have to actually be like producing on offense as well, which he definitely does not. I think that's kind of like where JR is talking about, well, Justin Falk makes up for some of those, those shortcomings and, and crew a little bit too. And that's nice and all, but it's just when Pareko's kind of being paid whatever, 6.5 million, just to be a big shutdown defenseman that plays a huge amount of minutes, that's great. But then he has to do that. So when he doesn't do that, it just feels like, okay, now you're doing nothing for us. You're not scoring and you're having a really rough game defensively. This this is, uh, you know, zero sum for me. This is just nothing. Um, and you just see more. You don't to be extremely consistent on defense where you need to start chipping on offense. And it's it's rough. And we've said this a number of times on this podcast that he is not going to magically evolve into this number one defenseman that we, we used to have or any other really great team has. It, he is who he is. And I think he can be maybe a better version of himself, you know, kind of the mm-hmm. what we saw in the cup run and everything. But I don't think you can anything beyond that. And to me, that kind of feels like you as the Blues know what you have. And if some other team comes knocking and thinks they know better than you in terms of what he is, in terms of what value they might throw on him, then I think you definitely have to explore that avenue just because – Again, you know who he is, and this that's great, but depending on what the return could be or what the pieces could be, I think he's he's not someone that I'm sitting there and thinking, well, with, there's no way we can replace Colton Pareko. It's like, eh, for the right price, you definitely can. Yeah. it's Yeah, I, I'm just glad to see Blue Sweater and Blue Fans in general kind of waking up a little bit, like you said, to be like, you know what, maybe – maybe there are some some warts on this guy and he isn't just like the easy Petrangelo replacement that folks were making him out to be like two seasons ago. Yeah, I agree. Um, he does have a no trade cause, uh, which is a 15 team list or maybe it's a full list. I don't know. Maybe he's, I don't get the difference. Oh, no movement is like waivers and everything else, right? Yeah, yeah. Well. So I guess he has a full no trade clause that becomes a partial in 2028. Um, which yes, so the contract doesn't end until so 2930. Yeah. Um, so you know, you gotta he's gotta be willing to okay anywhere that he goes, which is a major roadblock and all that. I don't think he's probably gone. Like I said, I think he's probably probably right back here next season. Um, mm. and I don't I'm not I don't want it to sound like I'm dragging Colton Pareko and think like that's the end of the world if he's here next season. Um, But I will say like, just in general, this is probably the least sure I've ever been of where the blues off season goes Mm -hmm. ever, ever. Like I have, I have no idea what this team looks like next season. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko could be here or not. David Perron could be here or not. I'd probably put like 80, 20 towards him returning, but who knows? Um, Billy Husso could be here or not. Like last year, last year it was, it was like Schwartz. I thought Schwartz would be gone. I was pretty confident. Um, who else we had done, you know, it seemed like Dunn was probably going to be gone, but you, before we knew the Tarasenko news, you know, you didn't necessarily think he was going anywhere. Um, I'm sure there were some other free agents we lost. Um, and there were some clear needs, like we needed more forwards. Mm. Um, you know, we needed, we needed help up there and we went out and got some like this year, I had no idea. And it's kind of fun. It's kind of nerve wracking. Cause it's like, I can't, I can't sit here and be like, this is the thing 
that you can do to make this team better. You know, it's not right. like, like, yes, you can say we need a left-handed, a top four left-handed defenseman. And you can say that, but like if Colton Pareko is not better, it's not going to matter. Like there's, there's always, whatever you say, there's an element of like, yeah, but if the people in-house don't do that job, then it doesn't really matter what the people, you know, what we can go out and get. Right. Um, but it's really interesting to see, um, you know, to enter an off season knowing so little. One thing I do think we need to do uh, after that postseason, and I wrote about this on the Hockey Rovers, um, <laughs> we should extend Ryan O'Reilly on July 1st. Like, I, I don't know how feasible that is or not, um, but I feel like we should we should just – We've had drama the last two times captains have been UFAs and they've both walked. Um, I don't want any part of that. He's our best player by miles. There's no reason to think that his game won't age pretty gracefully. He's Mm -hmm. not going to gouge you. He's done his, you know, I think he's had his, sowed his wild oats drive through Tim Horton's lobbies (laughs) part of his career. Um, Now he's happy and he realizes, I think he realizes that there's, you know, potentially a statue or retired number, that sort of thing in it for him. Uh, if he does stay, um, I, you just, to me, you just have to just, just do it. Just you find the number and do it. This should be, this should be one of those easiest ever sort of contract extensions. You know, mm-hmm. if he cares about the no move, given the no move, because if you're trading Ryan O'Reilly, you're already done anyway. <laughs> you know, like it, yeah, it's, it's just, just a like, different team, man. I don't, I don't think they probably will just come out guns blazing and announce it on the, on the 1st of July or whatever, I guess probably a little later than that this year with the extended postseason and everything. But whenever the free agency date, excuse me, uh, opens and the next season officially starts, like I would be fine with giving him the extension and just, I just don't want the drama and I don't want to pretend that, I don't want to pretend that we can move on without Ryan O'Reilly. Like that's an irreplaceable asset. Um, And even if, you know, even if as he ages, you presume that he'll take more of the second center role and Thomas will move more up to the first center role. Like that's fine. Just like you got to have him. You can't lose him. I don't know. It's it's a non, non non-negotiable to me. Do you feel differently? I mean, I do think that will probably come down to, like term, I think they'll mm-hmm. probably Blues are definitely going to want to be careful on term and not be giving them like a, a seven, obviously like eight year deal or whatever when he's thirty one. But and I don't know how he's going to feel about that either. But if they can get him on something that's kind of mid range, something where he you know he's thirty five, thirty six, and if he's still feeling good, he can still be playing here on a different team after that contract's over. I think that's that's ideal. Um, yeah, I don't think he's necessarily nickel and dime the blues or anything like that, especially after all the success he's had with them. But I think it is a big deal this year. That's your your big contract, other than the Tarasenko one. And again, that's all dependent on if Tarasenko wants to stay here. Um, so that's really, I mean, looking at cap friendly, that's pretty much like the big contract next year. So I would think they would only get it done sooner than later. This definitely feels like one of those. And when is it? Isn't it like in January? Is that like the normal, the normal uh, after Christmas? Oh yeah, yeah. Everything's kind of boring, and then Doug Armstrong's like, "Here's your fat extension." 
um, that he throws down. That that feels about right. Or maybe they get it done real early because they've they've talked about it already and things like that. But it's feels paramount, I guess, just because Ooh. I know folks were saying he's getting old and you know the age curve is what it is and he's he's never been a very fast player anyways and if he loses whatever speed he does have as he gets older you know he's a liability um but to me he just brings so much to this team that they don't have and you know one single player that if you were to lose him again then i think you're just you're kind of asking yourself like what is this team and i'm not necessarily saying you blow it up if you lose him but i am saying like you're entering a new phase of this team um, because even if you have, even if you have Robert Thomas, he's number one seed. Okay. Who's your second seed? It's like, right. Oh, that you've got like a big, you got a big, big thing to fill. Like it's not necessarily Braden Chen and it is Braden Chen. It's just like, it's, it just trickles all the way down. You're going to need somebody there, someone in your top six as a center. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, it's a big deal that I think a lot of Blues fans are probably not. It's not on their radar yet, but I know Thirty One Thoughts or Thirty Two Thoughts, excuse me, they they talked about it already, where they're like, "This is the one that looms large in the background," because you kind of got to assume it's pretty simple to be like you said already. Huso probably gone. Peron probably stays, and then it's like, and I think Peron staying too is a, is a good omen in terms of like getting. O'Reilly here just because they play off each other so well and they seem like they're good friends. So, mm-hmm. um, so with those two being pretty simple and straightforward, you got to think you just move on to the next the next contract, and that's the O'Reilly one. Um, unless, of course, you're concerned about Nick Letty staying <laughs> this summer, uh, which I don't know. I'm sure some people are. It's you know maybe for the right price, but don't Marco Scandella it. Yeah, I just tweeted about this. Just don't. Just don't, just don't sign him. Just, just <laughs> do not sign him. I don't know. Um, I just think that's I don't know. Talk talk about your thoughts on Nick Whitey a little bit because I think that's an easy don't sign him. I don't think I don't know why anyone's even considering that. Yeah, I mean, like he's he looked fine, and, he, and I mean he looked better than fine. He looked better than I thought he would in the playoffs, but it wasn't enough for me to be like, we need to sign thirty-one-year-old Nick Whitey to like a three, four-year deal, because to me, that's just Marco Scandella all over again, where it's like, okay, Marco Scandella looked really good as our Jay Bomeister replacement for whatever it was, 20-something games. And we're like, okay, cool. And then he turned into a pumpkin. Um, that's not <laughs> going to happen every time, but it's that's the most recent thing that's the taste in your mouth. Um, so I just – Nick Letty's good. I also think you can find him – by many other names <laughs> on mm. the open market. Um, so it's not, it's not a must. It's not a must do. It's a fun thing like JR did to put on a list of like 10 things the Blues needed to figure out this off season because you got to get to 10, but <laughs> it doesn't seem like much is there for me at least. Yeah. I just, it's like, if he wants to sign on a real friendly deal to stay here, cause he really liked it here. I'm not going to say like, don't do it. I don't think it was bad, but like, you can't go into next season assuming he's part of your top four solution the same way you did with Marcus Candela because we saw how that worked out. Um, Speaking of Marcus Candela, can we trade him this summer? (laughs) Um, 
No, I mean, I think the other player to talk about a little bit is uh, old, old Vladimir Tarasenko, because he's really in an interesting position now. I think you look at him and obviously we talked ad nauseum about the trade request. The trade didn't materialize for him because the Kraken wouldn't even take him for free on that contract with how bad he'd been the previous few seasons. Mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't he wasn't of interest to anybody. Conversely, if you decide to trade him this year, um, there's going to be, <laughs> for, pardon my friends, a shitload of demand for Vladimir <laughs> Tarasenko, uh, who once again proved that he's one of the elite scorers in the league, have one of his best seasons, uh, goal wise, penalty, or you know, point wise. Um, I think his maybe his best overall point season or one of. I think it was. I think it was a career um, year. He looked fantastic. Um, you know, there's a, there's, it's really interesting because there's definitely, if he's back here and he's happy and he's, you know, good to stick with Buchnevich and Barbashev, there's definitely an argument for saying, let's find a way to extend him too. Um, but when you're looking three or four years down the road to next year, you know, we talked about O'Reilly, Thomas and Cairo will both be due extensions. If you don't keep, if you trade a Kyrie, you know, if you get a Matthew Kachuk, just, I'm just saying hypothetically, that guy's do a big extension. Um, your defense is, is locked up, but it's expensive. Um, you know, if you're looking down the road, it's hard to see the picture where you keep Perron, Thomas, Kyrou, O'Reilly, and Tarasenko. Um, hmm. Of course, we don't know when the cap ceiling will grow and, um, I think chances are it will grow pretty quickly after the end of the season or after, you know, next season. Um, and, you know, if it does that in two or three years, then you can sign a couple contracts and be really inflexible for the first year or two and then have some some room to maneuver after that. But um, Tarasenko, I think, is kind of the almost the the joker that controls the hoe or the ace or whatever you want to call it that controls the whole hand of the offseason because like we could totally keep him play him this year we're it's going to be hard to trade him and be better next year um but at the same time if you trade him get that 7.5 million in cap flexibility and get some futures that you either keep and build a little bit younger core or that you then turn around and leverage to trade for another player whoever that might be um you know I think that's a perfectly viable option too. What are your thoughts on the Tarasenko situation right now? Yeah, I mean, he could definitely be the blockbuster of the summer in terms of just what we could get back in, in a trade. Like, I think the Buchnevich trade rate was surprising because you just didn't necessarily know he was available and you didn't think we'd be able to get him for what we got him for. I think the Tarasenko one is almost more like on the radar and inevitable in a way, but. It also leaves me with thinking I have zero idea what the return would be. Obviously hoping for, for something good, but you just, I, I, I don't know what it would be. You would hope it would probably be a forward of some kind at least, or, or yeah, a really high-end prospect and picks or whatever, but just depends on what team you'd be willing to trade them to. I think at this point, the only way you're going to allow them to play here for the rest of the season is if you think you're going to be able to resign them. And that's, that's the hard part, right? It's like, like you said, you can't – I just don't know that you can have O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Thomas, Kairou, Bushnevich, all these guys, on, you know, even Saad, who's on a pretty decently sized contract, all here 
Shen, like, again, because I think Tarasenko is going to be looking for the same amount of money, if not slightly more. I know he's getting older, but um, you still guys that are 29, 30, whatever, you can sort of a pretty fat ticket for, depending on what the team is. And if someone thinks that they are in desperate need of scoring and that's, that's their one thing they need, like depends on what you have as in your stockpile to trade away. But this is like the biggest fish I feel like on the market in terms of like a pure goal scoring, pure points player. Uh, I, I really, I really want the, the kid of me, the fan of me really wants us <laughs> to just resign him and keep him here. And he stays here and he, he has another career year close to it, and we can just we can kind of bury that whole that whole bit where he had his, his shoulder all messed up for however long it was. But I also think like being pragmatic, they never they've never really said right that like all of this is behind them. They've kind of said like, oh, it's yes. behind us like now, sort of thing. Like, oh, we're not talking about mm-hmm. that now. Like that's all behind us, but not like not like a d- definitive, oh, he's rescinded the, the trade request and, oh, it's all water on the bridge. I think it was more like, well, I'm playing well and I've got a bunch of Russian buddies here too that are all playing well and this is a lot of fun, but I also still don't like how the organization has handled all my surgeries and I, and I would like to try something different. So if that's the case and it sounds like it still is, um, It'll be a really interesting summer. That's why I think like you pretty much get your pick of the litter in terms of what sort of offers there are for them. Um, and I don't even honestly know what well, we guess we'll find out in due time with rumors and whatnot, but like what teams are out there that need that scoring threat. Like obviously anyone would like to have them, but who are the teams that are like a real contender for him? And then you can almost pick apart what they have as terms of offers. Yeah, I think. I think Tarasenko is another case where you really have to be looking beyond this season and you really have to kind of decide now whether he's going to be a blue long-term. That's hard to do, especially if he doesn't know what he wants um, at the moment. But I think, I think you got to say, look, you can't, we've let a lot of guys walk in free agency Um, Mm -hmm. since, since we basically won a cup, by trading or, you know, not exclusively, but made a huge difference in winning a cup by trading um, or uh, Shattenkirk and Stastny when, you know, we might've kept them for a playoff run, um, tried to have one last good ride with them. Since we did that, we've essentially let every other free agent walk um, for free. We lost Schwartz for free. We lost um, Petrangelo for free. I'm pretty sure we've lost others that I'm forgetting for free. Tarasenko's trade value, I think, is going to be too high for you to just come into next season and say, well, we've got him, and I hope, I sure hope that he stays, or I hope we get something from him, or I hope there are buyers at the deadline. Like, I think you've got to you've got to make the move now if you don't think he's a long-term part of this team, um, mm-hmm. because I think the potential return for it's just going to be too high and and you know, you need that. If it's an, it's also true that like, if he's not going to be here, you need that flexibility cap wise to not, you know, to know beyond this, not only beyond this season, but in this season, like if you're going to bring in somebody else to play his role, you need that cap space and, and you just need to know what the picture looks like Um, Mm long-term. So I think for all those reasons, you kind of have to figure out right now, 
whether he's here or not long-term. And if he's not, then you have to kind of pull the trigger. And, and I agree with you. I don't want to see it happen um, for all the reasons you said, but at the same time, I'm really glad that he did get to play, you know, if he, if he's traded, which I don't know by any means is likely, but if he is, I'm really glad he did get to play a final, like great season here. So that it's not just, mm-hmm. you know, he, he hoped we won't be leaving with a bitter, bitter feeling for the blues, you know, and, and the blues certainly won't feel like um, he, that they are trading, they're being faced forced to trade damaged goods, you know, and, and really lose on a deal. Like, I'm glad it worked out for everybody. And, and if there's a way to keep him long-term great. Um, but I just don't think you can let him walk, walk him up to free agency and say goodbye and, and lose him that way. Cause I think he's just got too much value to let that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, any other players or, or blues things that you got? There's a couple more topics I want to talk about, but do you have any other blues thoughts that you want to jump into? Um, only that just as a crazy quick rewind to the beginning we were kind of going through some players and stuff um, in terms of, of disappointments and also like surprises, like kind of one of both that I can completely miss. Lushnevich, disappointing this postseason. Um, I don't think he looked great. I don't think he also looked like he was like disengaged or whatever. I just think it looked like he wasn't getting all of the touches and passes off and shots off that he wanted and therefore it got in his head and he was gripping that stick tight and it just never never like came to picture for him. Everything sort of unraveled mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I still think he'll be fine moving forward, but it was kind of disappointing to see a guy that had, you know, 30 goals of the season kind of come up with nothing. But then on the flip side, his fellow countryman, uh, Torpchenko actually looked really, really good this oh, postseason. Yeah. I think he was, a little bit of a maybe revelation is too much, too strong of a word, but you know, only being 22, cracks the NHL, um, pretty much just skates in a straight line constantly, banging bodies. It's, I mean, he's a prototypical um, Craig Ruby player, and and he and it worked, and he looked really good. I mean, not only that, he had some skill for his like six foot four frame or whatever he is, some freakishly mm-hmm. large. So I'm, I look forward to seeing what he's what he does next year. Seems like he's carved out a bit of a place on the fourth line on this team, and um, we'll see we'll see how that goes. But in terms of other Blues stuff, I mean, no, it's it's just going to be kind of seeing how the offseason plays out. I am kind of excited for that already, um, having been able to process the the end of the season for the Blues. You know, it's disappointing, um, but you, sometimes you just run into a really good team. I mean that's happened pretty much throughout the entirety of like the late nineties, early two thousands with the blues is they were a great team that ran into the, one of the greater teams every time, whether it be Detroit or, or Colorado or Dallas or something. Um, same thing happened here with Colorado and it's, it's unfortunate, but also, I, I don't know. I'm just not as, I'm not as frustrated with this, with this out ousting as I would have been like against Minnesota or if they just hadn't shown up at all. Um, and I think we kind of talked about before the podcast, just like that it's nice that it didn't end on like sort of the nasty cadre vitriol and everything that was going on that we actually got to play through that a bit and just kind of, they got to write their own sort of ending to the season. Um, sucks when you have 90, 90, I keep saying that when you have nine 20 plus goal scorers and this is only as, as far as you get, but it was, it was a fun season and the postseason was actually a little, 
more entertaining than I thought it would be given the path and who we ran into, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes for uh, the Blues moving forward. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end it, and I'm sure we'll dive into more detail on pretty much everything we discussed in future episodes. Um, there are a couple the news of, comes out, yeah. There are a couple of, I don't want to end, oh, we've got the staircase too, so we can talk about that. That can be our happy, well, I don't know if <laughs> well, happy is the right word for no. it. That can be our 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 different, our tonal shift in the episode, but uh, a couple of less happy stories that we do need to talk about. I did want to circle back because we said we would, and I want to be true to it and honor that uh, to the Nazem Kadri stuff that happened during this series. Um, it, you know, we talked about it after that game that we won game five. Um, I think because of how the series played out, it ended up not defining the whole series um, and the media coverage and everything else. I think fortunately, I mean, you know, sad. I'm not happy that it happened, as we'll talk about. But I'm glad that we he had his moment in Game Four. We won Game Five, so that by the time Game Six came around, as we talked about in, in the first series, like this playoffs really aren't the the one continuing story that we think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by the time Game Six was here, it was like, oh, this is a this is a hockey game, and now there's all the weight of of the you know, Avs historic struggles to close out series and, and the Blues scrappy underdog and all that stuff. But I really did think uh, the Blues failed pretty hard during all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we talked, we have talked as I mentioned during that episode, I think we've always done, you know, one of the things I'm proudest of, I don't want to say we've done a good job doing it, but one of the things I'm proudest of on this podcast is that we've never shied away from talking about, tough subjects and and giving our take however wrong or right it might be um you know when when there are tough difficult stories and um i think that's just a case of like it's so easy to just make the statement i don't you know like i don't and i always say this not to be crass but just from a purely pr perspective like it is so simple to go out there and say um, you know, this is a competitive series. And while we're sad, we lost Jordan Bennington for the series. Even if you want to say something like on a play that we didn't think was, uh, you know, that should have gotten a look from the league or whatever. Like, even if you have to say that to save face, you can still then say, but there's a line in hockey and clearly racism and death threats cross that line. And we, you know, absolutely mm-hmm. condemn uh, those being directed towards Nazem Kadri. And if you want to be, if you want to really put the cherry on top, we as an organization donating $10,000 to the Nazem Kadri Foundation. Like, that's an easy, that's, that's a softball. That's an under yeah, pitch and you smack it out of the park. The way they went about it, um, Baruby's no comment. I know he came circled back and uh, claimed that he didn't know about the racism. And I'll, I'll take his word for it. I'm not trying to discredit the man. But um, I think what he said, you know, when he did finally say it was pretty good. The one that really bothered me was the Tom Stillman statement. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to find it verbatim because it was bad. (laughs) Just uh, completely Uh, whiffed on it, quite honestly. Yeah, it was. Here's the quote. He said, there is a long list of reasons why our game is the best in the world and respect is at the top of that list. It's important that we maintain respect as a guiding principle throughout the hockey community. Um, 
not a mention of Nazim Qadri, not a mention of racism, not a mention of death threats. Um, all of that together made me feel like the only thing you could conclude from the Blues perspective was that they truly hated Nazim Qadri so much based on the Fox situation and based on their feeling and that the Bennington thing was a dirty play that they were unwilling to condemn these things outright uh, because they were aimed at him or, mm -hmm. and, or they were unwilling to be perceived as siding with Kadri in some way. Um, and it's just a levels thing to me, you know, like even if I thought the Bennington play was the dirtiest thing on earth, it still doesn't call for racism or death threats, mm -hmm. you know, like I, Paul Hollywood can criticize your, your, cottage loaf but if he gives you the middle finger and spits in your eye after he does it that's going across the line you know <laughs> like that's 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 over that's over the board and that's off brand know, for him it was just we've kind of i think we've even said in the past when we talked about some of these issues like like someday it will be the blues that are in the mm -hmm. spotlight in a negative way um and we certainly saw some podcasts that talk about the blues failure on this and i think the dangle podcast did I didn't watch it because I, I I knew I'd agree with them and I knew it would depress me. Um, it was just a missed opportunity, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not it's not on par with the Blackhawks situation or you know, I'm sure any number of other situations in the NHL. But it's it was pretty rough, and and I wish they'd done a better job. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where. It was so easy and it just became a glaring issue um, among some of the fan base just because of how easy it was and how little they did or how silent they were on it. I mean, credit Ruby for saying something. Brian said something too. Um, and kind of credited him because he was kind of getting himself in the middle of that situation as well. But yeah, it's it's not, I don't know, it's not that difficult to, to just come out and say, hey, we're kind of trying to step away and dissociate ourselves from these folks. I mean, I think that was the issue, right? Was a lot of people were saying, well, you know, there's lots, there's lots of racists and, and crazy people in every fan base. You can't expect the, every time that happens for the team to have to come out and make a statement. It's like, sure, that's right. But like, that's when someone's screaming it into the void and no one cares when someone or a collective of people do it and it becomes public and it becomes like a big news story than the team that this is associated with, even though, you know, it's not like these people work for the Blues, but they are probably fans of the Blues because they don't like what happened to Bennington because of, what, you know, what Kadri intentionally did or didn't do. It's, he still did something or is part of this. If people don't like that, then that's, you can just assume they're a Blues fan. You know, even people who say, well, I don't think it's a Blues fan. It's this, that, and the other thing. But it's like, look, doesn't matter if they are or they aren't is just here and out there and it's making you as an organization and your fan base not look great so you have to come out and say hey this isn't us basically that's that's it that's that's all it is next time someone says some racist bs on twitter and one person likes it and no one else else sees it in their entire lifetime blues ain't gotta say anything you just you just need to give yourself a better look than that you need to save some face if you're going to, you know, if you're going to try and play it, like you said, from a PR perspective, like you just, you got to do something, show yourself, show, just show that you're not, that you're not silent on, on this issue, right? Like take a, take a side, 
take the non-racists. <laughs> I think that was the thing where people were like, uh, you know, they don't need to do this. This isn't the blues job. I'm like, why? What's the what's the harm of being like racism is bad? Like, I do understand some people really get all hung up in the virtual virtue signaling stuff, and that stuff does have you know can go over the line and what have you. But to me, this is just like, just say, you don't have to say like, we aren't racists. Like we, I get that. I think, yes, most people assume that you just have to go out and say, Hey, we don't like what's going on either because this is related to us in some fashion, even though we don't like it. It just, it's where you're caught up in this, you know? Yeah. And Kadri said what he said about, it's not every blues fan. And and I appreciate that. But like when the team is silent on it, it seem it it seems to have a much bigger voice than it actually does you know and i think that's one of the things that really gets me with it it's 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 such a situation of you know they're they're not saying anything you know the the old expression silence is deafening and all that by not saying anything they're making the whole thing louder than it was um and you know, I think it just became a situation where there was this void and no one was filling the void. And so because because no one was filling the void, um, they it just became a worse situation than it had to be because they really could have just said the statement, like like you said, Ian, and they could have just said, Hey, this is this is bad stuff. Don't do it. Not to, you know, not to not to boil it down too simply but it really can almost be that simple um baruby to his credit i wanted to find the statement that he did make um and uh just keep going or just read the whole thing so that you know we had it in context um he said i'm not on social media i was aware of a threat made to nazim not the racial stuff uh in no way is it acceptable by the st louis blues or anybody else for him to have to go through that Uh, Being a Native American myself, I've heard it all. I've been around it. It's not a good thing. So I just wanted to get that out there that there's no room for it anywhere. And you can say um, that, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a little bit of a weak statement, I guess. I mean, I've heard some people say that. I've heard some people say um, that, uh, you know, it's not believable that he's, you know, the whole not on social media thing isn't believable. Um, I don't really, I don't really buy that. I think, you know, he's a guy that's doing a lot of stuff in the playoffs. And, um, he probably isn't reading a lot of social media posts about whether Nazem Kadri is or isn't racist or not, sorry, not whether Nazem Kadri is or isn't racist, but whether, you know, there are, or aren't racial, um, racial threats directed towards Kadri. Um, But I thought it was a statement. It came too late, but I kind of believe that he meant what he said and, and, you know, was sincere in saying that Um, at the end of the day, it's all behind the blues. I don't think it's a shadow that's going to hang over them going forward. Kadri's not going to be on the avalanche going forward, you assume. So it won't even be that thing where we have to bring it back up when he's in St. Louis, you know, it'll just be, I mean, he'll be on, you know, the flyers who have earned return to St. Louis once next year, but it, it just won't be a story. And I'm, I'm thankful for that, but uh, that doesn't mean it wasn't a failure by at an organizational level. Um, and, you know, as you said, as we both said, it's really easy 
It's really easy to just make the <laughs> statement. You don't have to do anything else. Just make the statement. You can probably find a statement somebody else made in a similar organization and just change the words like a Mad Lib that, <laughs> you know, and I wish, I wish Ian from the bottom of my heart, I wish that they wanted to do more than that and wanted to go above and beyond. Mm. But if they don't, they don't just do the thing, do the bare yeah. minimum. <laughs> It's like it was a pass-fail course and you you failed because you didn't do the one assignment that the whole course was based off of, you know? You're going to have to do more than that. Yeah. Right now, it looks like you're just boogie boarding. Um, so, yeah, it was disappointing. I thought we needed to talk about it, but, you know, I do think it is pretty much in the rear view now and um, we can move on from that. One story, not to keep the dark times rolling, but one story that we can't move on from yet uh, is the story coming out of the CHL. Uh, I'm not going to get deeply into specifics, but uh, for those who might be sensitive, it is a story about uh, sexual assault. Um, so, you know, if, if that's something that is potentially triggering for you, then I just want you to be aware of that and probably skip ahead five minutes or so. But um, there's a story coming out of the Canadian Hockey League uh, and other... Um, Rick West had peace. Um, thank God for that man. <laughs> He's doing right. absolutely brutal, thank, thankless work. Um, but I think it's work hockey really needs to have done. But the story is essentially that the, a woman, a young woman in Canada sued, I think, both the CHL and Hockey Canada um, and settled with them over the accusation that uh, during a banquet celebrating the 2017-18 World Junior Championship gold medal team uh, from Canada, a team that both Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas were on, um, as well as, you know, Kale McCarr and, and a ton of other, um, you know, current and, and soon-to-be current NHL stars. Um, she was basically brutally sexually assaulted, um, you know, there's, there's, there's no more polite phrase for it than a, a gang rape situation um, in a, a hotel room by what the initial report said were eight players, including but not limited to members of that gold medal team. The NHL statement later said eight members of that gold medal team. It doesn't ultimately, I want to say all of this before we dive into it from a Blues perspective. It doesn't ultimately matter who it was. Whoever's involved um, did terrible things. And if it's Kairou and Thomas, I'll be, you know, disgusted by it. And if it's not them, I'll be disgusted by it. We should all be thinking of the victim first. But, um, you know, just from a, from a, you know, I, just from a truthful perspective, it makes a big difference whether it's, including but not limited to or eight members of that team because eight of 21 or however many you know 23 or whatever whatever that pool is it's looking extremely hard to believe you know or extremely unhopeful that neither of the blues players were involved um mm -hmm. if if it's you know including but not limited to that could be three players from that team and then maybe it's not Thomas and Kyrou. Um, I don't think it does any good to speculate and I don't want to really dig into it for whether it's Kyrou and Thomas or not. Um, they settled and the NHL said 
that they're going to do an investigation. I'm sure Rick Westhead will continue to dig. The players were not named in the suit um, individually. They were John Doe one through eight or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, but that is a situation that's out there that first of all, first and foremost, is just another shameful blight on the hockey world. Um, it really seems like there's something something rotten in hockey culture that allows for stuff like this. Not that this stuff doesn't happen in other sports, um, but you know, the, the details of this situation. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to go into them here because, you know, it might be difficult for some to hear. And it quite frankly would be difficult for me to uh, speak about on a podcast like this, but it was pretty brutal, pretty graphic, um, terrible things that happened. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not a boys will be boys situation. There's no, no hint of like, um, you know, no hint of, of just a misunderstanding or something. Like, I don't even want to say that because that's just not a, not a real thing, but like, there's no hint of, of kind of making light of it. It's, it's a very serious thing. And it's something that hockey has a real problem with, and I don't know how they cure it. Um, but I think that starts with just being honest about it uh, and talking seriously about it and not shying away from talking about stories like this. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts, Ian? I'll say, yeah. I mean, with everything that's happened in the last like two years and there's stuff that's happened beyond that when it comes to this sort of stuff in hockey, I think you hit the nail on the head. The best thing is talking about it and bringing it to life because for the longest time, so many people within hockey have known about this and just said nothing. And that's obviously like the second worst thing you can do on top of actually being a perpetrator in this, in these sorts of scenarios. And it's just like, if we can at least start working your way down and be like, okay, now we're talking about this in hopes that talking about this will now keep this from happening period, because now everyone knows this happens. Everyone's aware of it. And it's going to now try and prevent it. Um, I think that's the that's the most you can hope for and the best you can do right now. But it's it's I mean it's endemic in hockey. It feels like it's at least in the North American game. Like it just seems like it's happening ev- everywhere. Like I mean, that's probably a little. It's probably like a little bit too much to say. But at the same time, I don't know that it is because it just feels like if it happens, if it's popping up everywhere and starts coming through the cracks, you can only imagine what's like behind the wall, right? Of like, how how is this happening everywhere? How much of this is happening and how much are we only just hearing about? Um, I think especially stuff like CHL where these kids are so young, like part of it's almost like more gross because I'm like, who's, I don't know, you as a coach are almost like a, a father figure to these guys or you as a billet family or anything that's just like where is the kind of like oversight on these kids or like where's the like where is this being taught that this isn't okay i feel like this is very fraternity-esque where it's just a bunch of boys together that are making bad decisions and no one's telling them that this is gonna that this is gonna affect them that, that like whatever they're doing um good or bad is just going to affect their future and that somehow because of the <laughs> the 
I don't know, the, the I think it was cast, the place they're in in life, that this, this shouldn't because they're bound for the NHL or they're bound for, you know, wherever, you know, hockey greatness and therefore you know you kind of do whatever you want and you're untouched by by these sorts of things and repercussions and just like no man this has to be these are people first especially like kids first and almost athletes second and I think sometimes the athlete thing comes in way before the person thing and that's how they're treated and that's how they're viewed um and it, and it just filters down, right? It's just like now they're they're put up on a pedestal and, okay, you can kind of do whatever. And now when you do whatever, we can't, you know, obviously we can't sidetrack your career now because you made a, a mistake. You know, kids make mistakes. We can't just sidetrack your career because of that. And it's like, man, at some point you're going to have to sidetrack someone's career to, pro- to prove a point to people that you can't just do these sorts of things and get away with it. And you also can't just cover it up as, as an organization either. Like, I think that's sometimes... I don't want to say it's more heinous, but it's like equally heinous because I'm like, so now you know this happened as an adult, possibly within these organizations. And you're like, well, we're not going to talk about that. I'm like, this is what this, this sucks. I get it, but you have to say something. I think that's the most annoying thing is people are like, well, what are we going to do? Ruin, you know, ruin this. Yes, unfortunately, yes, that's what's going to happen. Like, yeah. I don't like it either. That's not, you know, that's so sad, but so was the thing they did. It's also like, I just don't know what you want. It's like, they don't, they're not special because they're hockey players. Like, and that's part of the can't, that's part of the problem is they think they are, but like, Mm. if they were auto mechanics, we wouldn't say, well, what are you going to do? Ruin their career because they participate in a gang rape? Like, yeah, yeah, well, I will get them fired from Jeffy Lube. I definitely will do that. You know, like. I don't know. Again, we're not trying to make light of it, but it's like, you know, if 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 we find out Kyrou andor Thomas were involved, I I could never look at them the same way again, you know. And they're two of my favorite players on the team, probably my two favorite players on the team, and it'd be done so for me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you there's no. I know. I I really believe that you have to have some space for like second chances and forgiving people and people are young and dumb and make mistakes but the details of this story go well beyond that to me like there's a there's a certain level of human behavior that you just know is wrong at any level and like you can rehabilitate and you can you can make your peace with it and try to go on and live a live a life but i'm not going to be able to just be like oh well you're you're a fine person and that was a different person who did that you know Mm -hmm. like that it's just that situation and so like maybe we won't ever know who was who and and you know but it's it's ultimately not important from a hockey standpoint to know who was who um but if that is ever going to be revealed it's it's one of those things that's like i don't want it to be you know you don't want it to be a bombshell in the middle of the season or something and and for certain, the Blues have to be doing their due diligence right now to figure out um, if their guys are involved or you know what's going to come down the pike because those are two centerpieces of your future, um, and you just don't know right now. That could truly ruin their um, ruin their career, but not like you said, not in a way that I'm saying that sympathetically for them, but just in the sense of like if that happens, you have to be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Moving on now, uh, Ian, you promised to talk about the staircase. How far are you? What's your, <laughs> what's your experience been so far? Tell us all about it. Folks who don't want spoilers on this, 
um, 20 year old criminal case or this weeks old HBO miniseries. You know, we love you. Happy Memorial Day. Tune out now. Um, but Ian, please tell us, please tell us, tell me all your thoughts. Um, we are only three, three out of six episodes in, so we're halfway in, and they're like literally just ending this episode on them starting the the trial, trial the uh, court case, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, but man, I think I think this guy did it. I think he did it. <laughs> um, <laughs> How I'm, many episodes are you in? Do you know? Did you say? Three, three. So okay. like I I've been more trying to piece together his children than anything. Let, let me ask you this question, Ian. How many times have you seen Tony Collette die? <laughs> um in, in this show? So only, far, yeah. Only the one only the one <laughs> only time. once so far. I'm assuming, I'm assuming right when they showed me like that she fell down the steps. I'm like, okay, so this is what they think happened or what the defense is saying happens, and now yeah. I'm gonna eventually see him beat the hell out of yeah me. you're gonna see that poor australian woman die a lot <laughs> spoilers perfect, on that oh no she's the it's, perfect face for like this sort of stuff i don't know if you've seen her and like she's really she's a really good actress in lots of things but like i feel like she's been on a streak of like um thrillers slash murder movies slash like horror movies mm-hmm. and she's got this like i'm I'm being nice. This is her being an actor. She has this really good, like, dead face. And I don't mean, like, when she's dead, but, like, literally when she's alive, though. Like, she has this really good, just kind of dead stare uh-huh. eye bags where she just looks, like, checked out. And I'm like, I, yeah. I believe this. I really believe this. Yeah. She Hey, she was in The Sixth Sense. She was in Little Miss Sunshine, right. you know. That's right. Um, yeah. She's been fantastic. But So you, you're already on the side of this guy did it? I mean, I think so. I mean, I feel like I feel like he for sure did it. He's the, what's his face? Colin Colin Firth plays a very a very good gross guy, <laughs> but like gross, so, but like not. But like part of me is always like, you don't seem like yet. You don't seem like a terrible yeah. person. You yeah. seem like a weird person, but you don't seem like a terrible person. Um, I his think encounters that... seem weird. <laughs> I think I mentioned this before, but like having watched the documentary, the impression he does of the actual guy is like freakishly accurate. And like, it's so weird. Like I said, I think I mentioned this to you, but like, it's so weird. If you see someone do like an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, you're like, okay, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's very, he's an inherently very impressionable person you know Arnold Schwarzenegger's son who is in the show but that's right that is true good point uh and does a fantastic job I think um but like Michael Peterson like if you watch the staircase the documentary you're like this dude's real weird and really unique and like you could see you could see why someone would portray him but like then when somebody does a spot-on impression of him we're like but why <laughs> like how did this guy who's just some like loser author from north carolina end up having an impression done of him by Collins? <laughs> you know like that's, that's right. gotta be that's such a weird situation but yeah it's definitely like a a loaded cast of people i think it's interesting how sophie turner is just one of the daughters 
Mm-hmm. It's like, isn't she way too big for this? <laughs> that one did uh, Dane DeHaan or whatever. I'm like, yeah, and stuff. I'm like, yeah. what is this? It's like, why are you just one of the children in this show? Yeah, I had to figure out the I had to figure out the the kids real quick because I was Parker there. Parker Posey's a, a bit part too. Um, I think we lost Ian. I'm going to pause and then we'll come right back to Ian. All right, we're back with Ian. Ian, your thoughts on Parker Posey? <laughs> I I, I didn't think it. didn't think it was her at first, and then I uh-huh. realized it was her. I I like her; she's a good actress. I had just been watching um, I forget some other movies she was in at a very like a much younger age, and I was like, I think this is Parker Posey. Yeah, it was popping in and out of the show. I'm glad you're watching it. I think I don't want to go in too deep until you know we've caught more up because I don't want to reveal parts of it that you haven't seen yet. But I do think it's a, such an interesting. It's like not original at all because it's literally almost just a reenactment of a documentary. But like I've never seen, I've never seen a series quite like it where it's like, what if we took a documentary that was already too in depth and we turned it into a drama miniseries? that was like just the filming of the documentary, but it wasn't quite like a, a mockumentary, you know, like it's, it's just that the, the filming of the documentary is a thing that's happening within this universe that we're stepping like and showing a bigger picture of, you know, like, I don't I know, like it's very that. interesting. The way they play with time, I think is interesting too. I, I've liked it so far. I've liked it a lot. Um, your thoughts, you, you've been okay with it? Yeah, I, I mean, it kicks off pretty quickly, and and I think when we I think the biggest turn of events thus far has just been the fact that there's another another not a dead wife, another dead woman uh, at the bottom of the yes. stairs, and I was like, there's another set of stairs. You built another Death Star. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the real that's the real like oh, so this guy did it. Turning point for me, like. But what I think makes this case so compelling is like every time you think that you settled on like he did it, he didn't do it, he didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't do it. Or, you know, some of the crazier theories out there that I don't want to spoil for you yet. Um, it's like there's always one thing that's just like kind of sort of wrong with it that makes you think, oh, there's my reasonable doubt. There's why I can't, you know, decide that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that makes it really interesting. But I'm glad you're watching it because I needed more people to talk about this with. It's been um, very entertaining. I've been listening to the podcast My Favorite Murder recently, which has been very good. I think I really like how they do it. I mean, they're very famous podcasts. They don't meet, need my bump. <laughs> um, but, you know, thought I'd pass that along. Um, also, a huge nerd here, but um, I've been watching The Crown. Mm. again on netflix i love that show so much it's just so it's so well shot and so well acted and like so much research goes into it um it's way too high budget netflix you're hemorrhaging money (laughs) but please continue to hemorrhage it into the crown uh if nothing else just just continue to make this masterpiece because a little bit deserves it 70 years she's about to have been queen for 70 years that's crazy and that's insane she she is an immortal as, as much as that is literally her, her designation within the, you know, the, the mythology of the, of the monarchy in great Britain. She truly is like 
an otherworldly person. So, you know, may she live forever. God save the queen and all that. I probably shouldn't close Memorial Day by saying God That's save true. the queen. Um, but, you know, what better way to end it? What, what a note to end on. Um, for anyone who served, you know, in the military, obviously our thanks go out to you. For anyone who's lost a loved one in service, mm-hmm. you know, infinite thanks and gratitude and thoughts and prayers uh, go out to, to you heroic people. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap up, Ian? Um, we've been, we've been all over the place tonight, but I think, uh, we can all agree that we didn't see the New York Rangers coming out of, (laughs) coming out of that series. They, uh, as Dom, Dom in his, in his, you know, uniquely dickish way pointed out that they've only faced a starting goalie in one of their 14 games. Uh, they're going to get trucked by the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? That's right. And then the 100%. Lightning, the Lightning are going to face the winner of a grueling uh, Avs um, uh, Edmonton series, having played like nine games in the last three weeks, and it's just going to be a cakewalk for them to their third Stanley Cup. Feels right. Yeah, ah, that feels cool, unfortunately. Cool, cool, cool. Hockey's that's, a fun sport. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Brandon Hagel, Stanley Cup champion. Corey Perry, Corey Perry, Stanley Cup champion. So you've been right. um, Patrick Maroon, though, four times running. So he's he's getting in towards those record books, baby. <laughs> he's like, this is this is what I'm all about. And we played an integral role in that. So, uh, all right, we've talked for too long. We gotta we gotta go do our thing. Uh, but thanks everybody for listening. Off-season episodes will start when they start. I'm not a fortune teller, but it'll be soon. Uh, And we'll talk to you all real soon. We'll talk to you all then. See you.